0: And at the time, no one was doing that, no one knew how to do it, and we didn't know how to do it. I I think this comes into something that I'm very interested in talking about always, which is a a fear of failure. It was kind of scary, you know, and you had to, you know, um, the only way to survive was to to kind of keep going. That's the thing I think that people fall down on.
1: Nick Moran, experienced designer, game designer, writer. Nick is one of the creators of Time Run, and more recently, the BBC's Sherlock The Game Is Now, which he co-wrote with Steve Moffat and Mark Gatiss, part of the BBC team behind the iconic BBC series. So, for those of you who don't know Time Run, Time Run won so many awards when it came out. It's an escape room, it won the Time Out Critics Award with them saying that it was one of the single greatest live experiences that London had ever seen. Personally, doing Time Run was a watershed moment for me, as I then saw what was possible in the interactive experience space. Nick Moran was one of the central people to that, and in this chapter he talks about designing experiences, how to structure things for audiences, as well as, more recently, how do you handle big IP, intellectual property, to create experiences that honestly are in the top tier of our industry i can't wait for you to hear this this is the director's diary i'm alex palmer it's no one's intention ever to share a diary so if you're listening to this keep it close and use it well so i'm delighted to say hi to nick um thank you so much for being on the podcast i'm really excited for this um, uh, I'm also excited.
0: I have to obligatorily say that, don't I? If I didn't say that, it would be, you know, it, it would seem pretty. I'm, I'm really disappointed to be here. Who starts a podcast with chat? No, but I am really happy to be here.
1: <laughs> I'll take your word for it. We'll see- see this one <laughs> oh, yeah, I
0: I I'm excited to be here. Actually, it's been it's been sort of long in the works, but I'm, and I'm looking forward to it now. We've actually managed to get together digitally on this COVID Eve.
1: <laughs> yeah, let's talk. I mean, for people who don't know you personally, I mean, we do this with special guests. So um, I'm going to get you to tell us your life story in two minutes.
0: Uh, Well, firstly, it's lovely for you to say that I'm a very special guest. (laughs) That's the perfect COVID gift. That's what everyone (laughs) wants. A compliment. That's what everyone wants every year. That's the first year I've got it. So. Thank you for making this boy's Christmas. Uh, so um, I'll give you my pot, my potted life story. Uh, so I'm from I'm from uh, just south of Manchester, a town called Ulsterham. Ulsterham is a great town because uh, during the uh, global recession, it had the highest percentage of abandoned shopfronts in the world, which was the key source of local pride. And nowadays, it has a fancy market. So if you want to go to Ulsterham and have some fancy cheese on a Saturday morning or some artisan bread, you can have that. Couldn't have that when I was young when I moved away it's got really upmarket that's really it's, it's kind of insulting it's the place that McDonald's abandoned that's the place that I think of I've seen the only abandoned McDonald's I've ever seen um so I was for Manchester went to, uh, went to university in Nottingham and then I moved out to London in my early 20s um like a lot of people a lot of children of the Great Recession um and um At university I did uh, uh, classics, so ancient languages, which is obviously something that comes into use every single day of my life. It's a key skill, Uh, really helps with doing my tax returns every year. Um, And then um, uh, I went to Central School of Speech and Drama and I did a Masters, which was ostensibly in writing for stage and broadcast media, but in fact really was about the structure and nature of cinematic and theatrical storytelling and is the single most useful year of my life. And uh, a man called uh, Tony Fisher, who is the then director of the course, is the man that I most think about outside of my boyfriend across my entire life. Uh, because the things he say, I still use every day. And that is that is a worthwhile student loan gotten. Um, after that, I tooled around in my early 20s, trying a lot of uh, unsuccessful uh, theater meets uh, game projects um, of, varying levels of quality from I would say average to abysmal uh, and then uh, ended up doing some things that people quite liked. Um, In 2014 I uh, co-founded a company called Time Run which was based in East London. At the time the escape the room world, uh, for those who don't know contextually I build and design um, escape room experiences um, of hopefully Good quality. The people people seem to like them sometimes. Sometimes people don't like them, and uh, that is because they have no soul. Um, and um, and um, so, uh, at the time the Escape the Room kind of scene slash industry was very young. It had really been a- only around properly, I would say, a handful of years. And uh, Timerun came in, and we really wanted to make something very different. i wanted to make something that had big bombastic sets, very good storytelling, great special effects. And at the time, no one was doing that. No one knew how to do it. And we didn't know how to do it. But we found someone who wanted to kind of invest in that space. And so we created Time Run, which then existed from 2014 to 2018. After that, uh, together with Steve Moffat, Mark Gatiss, and the BBC. Um, briefly, the BBC. And then the BBC didn't want to be involved anymore for mysterious BBC reasons, which is the strangest introduction I've ever had. Let's introduce you to these people. Oh, no one to being involved anymore. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, so we just dealt directly with Hartswood, Steve Moffat, Mark Gatiss, which was Great, easiest relationship and work I've ever had with anyone. And we created uh, Sherlock, the game is now. Now we christened Sherlock the official live game. For I'm assuming SEO purposes, I don't have anything to do with anymore. Uh, which is a sort of live action, canonical, uh, game episode, of a TV show, set in the universe of Sherlock, So, all the people you'd expect. Ben Cumberbatch, Martin Freeman, um, you know, the usual, obviously Mark Gasis because he, he was there you know co-wrote the show if he wasn't there he refused to be involved so that'd be really weird um and uh which is still around till this day and i'm sure we'll, we'll oh sorry well i don't have covid and you can't catch <laughs> me from a podcast so don't worry about it um I, I just have a mild cough i had a pcr test and it was all clear uh so uh showgames now still around to this day Left the company in 2019, I think it was, and ever since then I've gone uh, freelance, I've done my own stuff, I've done my uh, Kickstarter, i am doing launching some other games and some other secret things that are in the pipeline that will be happening when the market is back to normal. Coming soon? (laughs) I hope. Yeah. (laughs) I think that was longer than two minutes, Alex, but I hope that's
1: okay. It was, but it was interesting. So I'll allow it. Uh, oh, thank you. If it hadn't
0: been interesting, would you have cut me off at
1: the two I, minutes? I would have done. Yeah, yeah. There's your two <laughs> minutes oh, <my> done. God. <laughs> oh, God, wow.
0: People own with their half finished lives thanks to your cruelty. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, so there's something. So the reason we kind of started this podcast is to kind of get at the root and the kind of pull back the curtain, open up the diaries of like the process of making something, like the successes of people, what actually it took to, to do it. And I think the two minutes there goes some way to. That's the kind of broad brushstrokes, but it's kind of its lines. i uh, just picking out a few lines that you said. Kind of like, oh, we just we found someone who would invest in the space for time run, and I'm, that was quite a flippant like line. But I, I'm imagining that process was long, difficult. No, I, when when I say that, that seems flippant, but that is
0: absolutely what happened uh some uh, a person i work i used to work with called Josh Ford um he was literally at somebody's house being like oh my god wait, we want to do something in this space and they're like we want to do something in that space come in for a meeting and then we're like okay we want to do this and they're like that sounds great here's the money and i like to tell people i've worked with investors but largely speaking i've just worked with like one investor on that project and then other investors on other projects in the future but you know from my experience, you know, getting investment is a series of amazing coincidences rather than natural skill.
1: Which is not great if you haven't haven't come up with those coincidences yet. But um... no, no, I I can just honestly say
0: that when that
1: the problem the thing is is now
0: um having having done things, it's relatively easy for me to meet people who want to invest in things. It's of course, money part getting to part with money is always difficult. Um, But the more you've done stuff, the more easy it is. And it was lucky the people I'd worked with at the time, you know, I was 20, I was 26 when we started Time Run, 26, I think. Yes, something like that, 26, 27, maybe. And the the people I'm working with, they'd worked in different levels of events, like Joshua I'd worked with, had worked in uh, across festivals and all these things for a good 15 years, you know. And it, it took him all that time to be at that time that he could have that coincidental meeting. You know, all these things are a matter of luck more than anything. And also talking to people all the time about what you're trying to do. That's the thing I think that people fall down on. Cause even now I'm always like, uh, you know, I go to, I go to, I quit. I don't know. My, my brother is having a gathering his friends in the pub and they're like, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm doing. I'm actually looking for money. At the moment if you know anyone who's interested in this, on this project. You've always got to be, you know, those projects are obviously now kind of funded in that way. But you know, you've got to be be looking all the time to have people help get your projects into reality. Because also, it may be someone someone says, actually, I've got this amazing space, and um, that needs something right now. In fact, this venue that we've recently got in London, we're planning something next year. Is just because I happen to be someone and I I was saying, I'm looking for a space at the moment. Do you have any, you know? And I just keep kept on asking people. The thing about people, you've got to be always open to just asking people whether they have things and being open and being honest about what you're looking for and also knowing what you want. And I think that's one of the things that I think holds back a lot of people in this industry, not being honest with people they meet and always being like, I've got this thing, it's going to be amazing, rather than also being a little bit vulnerable and being able to give away that I'm putting together this project and I'm looking for this missing element right now. You know, I'm looking to, uh, on this various projects. I'm looking for um, a friend of mine's doing this project in the US, amazing escape room stuff that he's doing across the US. Really project with loads of money. And he's looking for a producer. And so all I started doing whenever I meet people in these kind of events, I'm like, hi, do you know anyone who's a good producer by the way? Because I have a friend who has an amazing project in the US that might be really exciting. I haven't found anyone yet. But that's the only way I know how, which is constantly asking, constantly being open and also constantly giving away a little bit of yourself, which you've got to do. That's the thing I think about that stuff. So on the investment front, I mean, even now, you still have to ask people, you still have to be open. You still have to have that sense of knowing who you are, what you want and where you want to get to.
1: And in terms of that initial conversation, I do you have a figure in mind, okay, we're 30 grand short or whatever we need or like... Are you just looking for investment as a kind of blanket, and then the kind of details worked out later?
0: I mean, it depends project to project, doesn't it? I'm not. I'm, I'm, but um, often it's just you're looking to meet people who might want to partner with you, who might do lots of different things. And investment can come in different ways, shapes, and forms. So, yeah, I I mean, from from my perspective, I think it's. Knowing what the core of your project is, knowing what needs to be delivered, and being open to the many different myriad routes that could be there because there could be someone, for example, I know you talked to, you know, you talked to Bertie from CoLab recently. You could have a show that costs 100,000 to make or whatever it is. But if, you know, we talked to Bertie, Bertie's like, you know what? I've got this gap in my calendar. I'm not going to fill it. I can give you that space for nothing for two and a half months because space no one's going to fill. Suddenly, bam, you know, a certain amount from your budget has, has suddenly been absorbed into something else. That you know, it is that sense of just keep on asking people. I was like talking to, um I've got a friend who runs a coffee shop, and he was like, actually, I coincidentally have this massive underground space that I'm not using in hagerston completely no use to me, but, it, but it, but for someone else who's running a project, it would have been an amazing, an amazing space, you know. So, if you just always yeah. say, you know. Uh, open opportunities open and knowing the kind of things that you need then in the end you might find things but also you might not and that's no fault of yours that's, that's... the thing is you know i've also spent ages looking for things that just not happened
1: that's so so cool i mean i'm my mind just going to you know you go through the back of a coffee shop down the stairs and turn into you know you could have this amazing experience can you um just uh, do you think people don't say or keep bit cars close to their chest because there's a fear of someone going off and stealing it. Do you think that's coming into play a little bit?
0: Like, I, I think this comes into something that I'm very interested in talking about always, which is a, a fear of failure. If you, if you say it, it might not happen. Right. You know, anyway, if you say, you know, if you're if you're open with it, then people might come around later and be like, hey, what happened with that? And you're like, oh, uh, it didn't, didn't work out. That's okay. Things are, Things sometimes don't work out. That's no one's fault. Yeah, that's, you know, you can, you can look even now around the world, I'm constantly I'm afraid for other people. I mean, I've not had a live project during this pandemic uh, in terms of like a live experience, um, but there are people out there who probably made some of, the, you know, there must be statistically some of the greatest experience ever been because experiences overall are getting better and better and better. If people know more and more. They, I would say the overall quality of the market is continually going up someone's made the best thing ever and immediately shut down is never seen by anybody and that's not their fault they did everything right you know so at the same time you can do everything right you can make the right decisions for the right reasons and it can still not work out mm. so i think that's also a problem that people i think also because people in all industries but especially in kind of our space, the experiential space, people are constantly focusing on their brand and shaping their narrative and they're like, you know, I've done all these amazing things and things are a building for building a stepping stone up, 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 and they don't want to say oh, that one didn't work out uh, you know, and uh, oh well you know, that because that's not how do you shape that into a narrative, whereas people's lives and the world are messy and you've just got to act as, act as best you can and act in good faith yeah. Um, even if it even if it doesn't work out and you get screwed over, as long as you've tried, right?
1: Yeah. Blastery um, sent an email out to all their subscribers with three projects that didn't work mm-hmm. that they've that been working. And it's the first time I've ever seen anyone do that. And it was mm-hmm. so amazing. It was like it was like um, looking beneath the bonnet. And one of them was like a an app live experience that they and they said. We realized this would be a a million pound project minimum so we just scrapped it you know like it's it's but it's like so interesting yeah i think you're so right with with the kind of narrative yeah
0: and i think it's it's again it's
1: it's fear always and it's fear about being
0: shown up by your peers and fear about all these things and fear of not looking good and fear of disappointing people and fear of disappointing yourself and the good thing is, is once you've disappointed yourself once really properly and had something fail, <laughs> then, then <laughs> kind of get over that. <laughs> and I think other people also, you know, I spent, you know, from when I was, you know, uh, from university all the way until, you know, pretty much, actually, I think it was more like 27. You know, I worked. I worked on lots of different things. I worked in loads of different projects. Some worked, some didn't some i some i really believed in and I had to pull last pull last minute which was terrible terrible blows and things like that and i didn't have anything then you know it wasn't like i was like oh wow, well, this thing hasn't worked out but i've had this thing work out i hadn't had anything work out until i was kind of quite late in, in, in the immersive industry i was quite you know so for go me so, think- to
1: talk us through some kind of favorite failures of yours go on. what's what's kind of
0: Um, oh my God. Okay. Where do I start? I I did, I did a lot, I did a lot of things. Um, actually, I think my, I think my favorite failure was actually the thing that led to time room. We did this immersive thing called Wolf of Time Emporium in uh, London, which was like a kind of open world immersive experience with the gameplay, basically like a little RPG town, um, with like overall narrative, like a big set piece at the end, loads of projection, really complicated show and it was absolutely impossible to manage and we were completely overwhelmed (laughs) apart from for the matinee show which was delightful because nobody came we could (laughs) do it the matinee show was wonderful it was definitely (laughs) a the storm and um but the you know i'm always very interested and i think this is like one of these times that the thing i learned from that is that it was a show without the sufficient structural backbone in order to, in order for people to have the correct experience and people got lost which i think happens sometimes with a lot of the larger immersive shows now if you look at some of the um i would say some of the weaker more recent secret cinema shows rather than some of the the stronger ones um then they're, they're, they're ones that people can get easily lost and you have no idea what's going on you have no idea what you should be doing you have no idea what the good experiences are Whereas, for example, I think recently, I, I think it was probably three or four years ago, they did Doctor Strange Love, And I thought that had a very good structure in it, had like a really solid structure where basically it was all nonsense. So everyone knew what they were doing. Each, each station was nonsense stations, but you could go around and do the nonsense stations in various different orders. And they were quite good at pointing you from place to the place. Whereas, for example, um, the, the Stranger Things one, which I went to recently, uh, a couple of years ago, I had no idea where to find any good experiences and i was just wondering about um uh, desperate and then just bought a hot dog because i was sad um but again it's that thing about like sometimes the the underlying structural work hasn't been done in favor of scale and that was definitely something that i did because you know we had to get in like 300 people and i know that now 300 people in the show isn't like that many but um we had to get 300 people in and make it work for that many people and have a, like a bar and have all these things but that was just too much for the backbone and the fundamental work of the show to actually handle. But, I mean, that was the thing, you know, to be honest, when we started said we wanted, you know, many people wanted to do time run, we literally just said, well, we were planning to reskin for Backstreet's time for and make it into a, like, title escape room thing in that style. And that was basically how we came up with the time run idea. It was basically kind of a rethink and a reimagining of a concept we'd already had and already kind of tooled around with in a different way. Because, I mean, partly because time travel is the ultimate blank slate creatively, you know, it is, you can go anywhere and do anything. Great. Yeah. <laughs> well, where, where do you start? Um, which, again, for some people, again, would be not enough structural underpinning, but those kind of um, sci-fi nonsense structures are something that I find personally particularly appealing because I like creating rules. Yeah. You know, how does time travel work? Well, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then suddenly, you know what the creative is because the structural background is in place. But yeah, I mean, that's kind of one of my those nice favorites. But also just like, like small, not anything big in that way. Things like, you know, I was a freelancer, you know, doing like a freelance writer and a video editor. And that was a tough world of having to ask for, you know, ask for work, get work, scrabble around. It was kind of scary, you know? And you had to, you know, um, the only way to survive was to, was to kind of keep going. And I think that's kind of gave me, you know, when I when I left Time Run, I kind of had that attitude again, but I'd already been tooled for it. And I see a lot of people who've, especially in kind of um, the video game world, where I've quite a lot of friends and they become freelancers and they're very afraid. You know, I'm this kind of strange, uh, classic video game industry of extremely cocky and extremely vulnerable, which they then use as a toxic cocktail to um, narcissistically talk about themselves. Um, uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I, uh, uh, they, uh, but yes, but people kind of start out and they just don't have the, they don't have the right attitude because they're, they've had their lives kind of on rails until then. And I think that that kind of chaotic 20s very much helped me. Mm. Um, and uh, I my mean, life is still relatively chaotic even now. But, you know, that, that kind of, you never know, you know what's going to happen and it's not all your fault. It's kind of a key principle that I have right now.
1: Yeah. So- I like the philosophy of that um, i'm wondering whether for those who haven't been to time run um, and and haven't for, for me um time run was a real changing point when I went to do it in terms of what um so previously I'd, Id I'd worked with punch drunk I've seen kind of the i would say one of the best companies in immersive Uh, experience what they do with sets but in terms of escape room and how you can tell a story through sets I think time run was a real changing point for me and it's really interesting hearing you talk about and obviously time travel makes it possible to go to all these different things but as a punter you're not really thinking about that you're thinking oh my god what's behind the next door you know it's um um what what was it like to build what was the team like? What was the and what was the process to, to build it with them? So
0: um T- Time Room was built by a company called Tandem Set and Scenery, um who are my still my good friends and I work with them on a daily basis. Um uh so that was their that was their they were their guy called uh, Glenn Hughes, and his partner Leah Morgan, um, who are brilliant people. And uh, that was their first escape room they were built, and now that's all they do: build escape rooms. Oh wow! uh, Yeah, and uh, to be honest, I I've I've only ever worked with them, so uh, because they have the same kind of values and attention to detail and love of adventure, which I think is one of the key parts that I think was something that we really wanted to convey at Time Run at the time. um, So you know, the team was uh, myself. It was Josh Ford, Shubh Patel. Um, all great people um all of whom still doing interesting things um josh at the same time had founded uh co-founded uh swingers the uh, mini golf bar come, come thing in in london uh sheena came from an events background and did all kind of festival stuff and uh, me and a guy called ben mason as well who's the guy who kind of uh, i originally met everyone through uh who has his own kind of uh social media company empire um anyway we're kind of like a diverse group of people but ultimately i mean from my perspective the great thing was is that uh, I, I had uh uh together uh I had a huge amount of control of how i wanted to shape and structure it and basically it was kind of what should we do how do we structure it how do we do it and it was necessary i mean i wanted it to be from an experiential point of view an experiential storytelling point of view just in- incredibly clear because i was very afraid at the time of losing people. And that's for me like always been my ultimate fear. And um uh, the, I still work sometimes with a guy called Dean Rogers, a great guy. He's one of the co-founders of the Crystal Maze. He d- works a lot of stuff and like experiential as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh so um and and very much wanted to shape it so that it was a uh, sort of a classic three act structure, classic, classical paradigm, you know, simple desire obstacle solution, storytelling singing anyone grasp it and the sets told the story something that that you could go in listen to nothing and still understand what was going on yeah and it was that kind of like again because i've been to all the immersive shows and i was always very aware that because i went with you know a lot of my mates you know they're not from a theater background they don't really like going to theater you know they're just no you know pretty they're not they you know they're intelligent people but they're not you know theater people they're not immersive people. They'll just go because it's a cool thing to do and thing like that. And they would go around and be like, oh, it was great. I had no idea what was going on. You know, and and for me, that was like the one thing that I didn't want. I did. I that was the one thing I didn't want to happen. Yeah. I wanted something where you could, you understood why you were there the whole time. You were given a role and status within the universe, which made sense. This is something that I get very frustrated with across games and experiences is that they're like, you are the police and you have come to dismantle bomb. I'm like, I'm not the police. I'm Janice from Accounts and I've had a really bad day. You know, know, I am, I'm Steve. I am an off-duty firefighter and I'm really tired because there was a big fire last week and I still haven't physically recovered and my, my leg's given out. You know, you want to be able to be like, you've arrived and you're you. Yeah. That's your status. You're you. But where are you in this universe and how do I make you understand your role and what you have to do with it? So that's kind of why there was this like onboarding part, which was actually at the beginning uh, for those of you who haven't been in the time room, which I'm sure is lots of people because it's closed in 2018. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, you are know, I'm assuming, you know, you've got, you've got a young hip audience of uh, Gen Z TikTokers. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, exactly. They were just, they were just, doing, they were all dancing to this, to this audience. To right this, now. Yeah. Yeah. Which um, in portrait, which is an incredibly restrictive way to dance, but, TikTok is a confusing and terrifying place for a man who's thirty-five next week. Um, so there's an, so basically there's there's, there's uh, a briefing room, then uh, a kind of hall of doors, infinite doors, where like lots of different lots of different kind of places, um, uh, a room where you basically got a time portal into, where you got briefed by your actors, and then three separate spaces. And so the main thing was I had about having a room specifically for onboarding. Where people got absolutely told who they were their role in the universe what they were going to do so we could effectively rubber band so the moment that we got them taught and they could go off they got fired into a very classically structured three-act narrative where all the puzzles acted as the beats of the story and that if they didn't understand at any point, the plot reiterated itself to them over and over again reaffirmed what they did constantly told them what they were doing and located them and situated them so that by the end of the kind of real climax of that third act they felt that they've got what they deserved and they understood why they were there and that they were emotionally in connection with the puzzles and the beats of the story and that was really what I was trying to do I was trying to solve a lot of the problems that I saw with escape rooms which is for example uh, not just not just poor sets because escape rooms mostly did have poor sets but there were some good ones that did have good sets not in the UK particularly at the time, but across the world. But it was more that people didn't think what the audience's relationship to the experience was. And I think when people talk about game design, um, they don't enough uh, often enough think about game design and experience design as exact, exactly the same thing. They are the same thing, the two are synonymous. Um, all that puzzles are is the beats of the experience that to lead people to the conclusion. If you're in a different type of show, You'd solve those beats with scripts or with actors or with something else. What you're doing is you're solving them with puzzles, with obstacles that require input to proceed. You know, that's all a puzzle is. It's an obstacle that requires intellectual input in order to overcome. But that intellectual input should teach people something, something about it, which gives them the next beat on the rising action, the falling action, or the climactic moment along the story. So that's how that, that was kind of like my main thing I wanted to solve with, especially the first time we're game, which the last along this and uh you know i certainly i think that overall uh you know nothing nothing is ever universally loved you know but people seem people especially in the skating world really saw it as like you know reason to really enjoy it really appreciate it for what i was, what I was trying to do which i think was really exciting um and even now it's something that people still seem to appreciate and enjoy which i think is very gratifying as a piece of work to have but yeah i mean the main thing i think the in much way, in many ways, like a, like a good first album of a, of a band, you know, The last of Longness was the game that I'd spent seven years building up to, you know, my entire 20s because I thought about what I wanted to do and how I wanted to solve all these problems and had all the failures that meant i not have the time to be like, my God, I've got that one really wrong. Mm-hmm. And that was, I think, that was the moment that really propelled me forward because I got a chance to see it in practice. And I think that was... You know, a key learning point in my life and a real turning point on my on my kind of my I guess directorial stuff creative direction journey
1: yeah there's, there's so much so, so much on pick there it, de- it definitely does still stay with me that time run uh, experience um and it's so interesting connecting the dots like you, you did classics and then you've got all those kind of artifacts and kind of Law within your work, yeah, it's, it makes sense, doesn't it?
0: Well, I like things to be accurate as well. <laughs> so, so you know, uh it's also like people always like. I really like the second room, the Egyptian room. I'm like Egyptian, interesting that all those the, those you know ancient gods, uh those ancient Greek gods. Yeah, and uh, it, people think people it's really interesting because again, this is like a classic way people people make these jump associations with it because there was a the puzzle involving sand in that room. People think it was Egyptian. Because people's li- people's memories are so linear, yeah, and that's again the way that people kind of make these associations. But yeah, he's—I mean, certainly he did. Like that was definitely informed by by by, by my love of the ancient world, um, and also you know my desire to you know uh, having grown up with all these all, all these all these stories and seen all these things like Indiana Jones and particularly you know uh, like the bad examples like Indiana Jones: The Temple of Doom, the definitively racist Indiana Jones and um you know um my father's of irish descent um uh, but my mother uh from kenya and she's indian which is why i constantly look like i've just been on holiday and uh, people always <laughs> like you've been on holiday i'm like no uh, <laughs> I, haven't, <laughs> I haven't been on holiday it's a global pandemic what do you think i'm doing tanning every week but um i really wanted to make it so that it wasn't um like orientalist like wasn't re- like so i was like like these games be firmly based in like w- like greek and roman pathology because they're you know they're european they're not they're not they're not kind of orientalist they're not like look at the crazy look at the crazy east and it's mysticism yeah i was like these are things that i want to stick with because they're things i know about they're things that i'm excited by there's a huge amount of flex within them and that it's not it's a place that we don't (laughs) you know we're not in danger of having that kind of you know indiana jones and the temple of doom thing where you know look at all those crazy Indians eating snakes. Yeah. Uh, And that was something that I really wanted to get away from.
1: And also far enough away from the UK that it feels like you're going somewhere else, like you're being transported somewhere.
0: Yeah, well, the thing is, it's like, you know, traveling across time and space, you know, a a, a kind of, a a a temple in in ancient Greece is something that you'd never visit and be able to fiddle around with, you know, uh, nor is a space station. But uh, so you wouldn't, uh, transportation doesn't have to be exoticist It can be temporal. It can be anywhere, and it can be just about contrast as much as anything. Yeah. You know what you want is the spaces to contrast each other as much as possible. I mean, my disappointment point was that I wanted to do a third time run game, which was all set in one location because I would have liked to have done because t- I was like because uh, the first two games are very much like jumping all over time, and I want to do something where you like explore one time period where you get to know a little bit better. Rather than that mm-hmm. sense of where the door, I'm not kind of relying on. I think that not a crutch, but it is the the excitement of where 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 next is the door going to be. I want to be like, well, let's get them excited about making one thing really deep, rather than necessarily you know depth rather than breadth. Yeah. But, uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, Sherlock happened, so that didn't <laughs> that we didn't get the chance.
1: We'll get to Sherlock in a bit, I think. But um, I'm I'm interested to just. Uh, dig a bit deeper in terms of like how you think about how do you as a creative director share the vision of what time run is going to be and get the get your team to follow in terms of because there'll be a lot of directors listening to this who are kind of head of teams with different skill sets how do you ensure that you've got a collaborative team but still you're you're the one setting the vision so you haven't got like six visions uh, i think
0: i i think for me it's about knowing what you have to control like that like like what is the, what what is the thing that makes your experience what it is and for me it's the structure as long as i'm in control of the structure i know everything else doesn't really matter as much for example puzzles don't matter puzzles are material i say this as a puzzle designer you know and uh it's one of the things that the skills that i'm most developed with and probably over i had linkedin it'd be like you know my highest rated skill, technically, um, whatever it is, I do have a LinkedIn. Anyone, I don't know why I pretended that I didn't. I do have a LinkedIn. Everyone has a LinkedIn. Microsoft make you have a LinkedIn. You have no choice now. Um, um, yeah, uh, otherwise you can't get the five G vaccine. Um, but um, <laughs> for me, it's about. I know that I'm always saying, as I say, because I've got now um, a couple of like uh, you know junior games people working for me who I'm trying to teach. The things that i think are important and i'm always like structure is experience Stretch is all that matters everything else doesn't matter as long as you have the structure right the rest of the experience will follow and so and puzzles are just ways of ways of metering the structure that's all that matters so for me as long as i control the structure of the experience that is all that matters to me and the rest i can be quite free for all on the collaboration front but I need to under, I need to be able to get that right in my head because then I can measure everything else that everyone inputs on and whether it succeeds and fails and in input into that structure. Uh, for example, in Lance of Longinus, um, that stre- you know i that structure was kind of worked out pretty early about what it wanted to be, you know what the what the goal was, what the MacGuffin was, all these kind of things. You know, very classic adventure storytelling to just kind of creating this very simple. And the bits that you know, the bits that were kind of troublesome along the way in terms of making those, were quite easy to feed in and feed out. You know, we had a puzzle didn't work, but we knew we had to be at this point on the story, had to be roughly this difficulty. So swapping in and out. And to be honest, if no matter, if honestly, we had chosen any of the three or four options that we had at the end, they would all have been good, and the we, you know they wouldn't have largely speaking affected the quality of the experience. Mm. But yeah, I, and. And although, you know, things like little wow moments matter and all that kind of stuff, as long as the basic structure is right, it doesn't really matter. For example, you know, you can have a film which is like total nonsense in terms of the writing, full of mumbo jumbo, um, mediocre acting, all this kind of stuff, uh, and call it Star Wars A New Hope. Um, but <laughs> you can get this track, but this, the, the, like, you know, as, uh, as Alec Guinness said to George Lucas uh i know it's uh harrison ford you know he said to george lucas uh god you 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 know you uh, basically he said you sure can't write you sure can write this shit but it's so difficult to say you know because (coughs) the whole point is all like you know it's full of cheesy lines full of not you know all this kind of stuff all the stuff those original star wars films are but what george lucas especially early george lucas knew is that it's all about structure that first star wars is immaculately structured you know, you know exactly where you are and you're supposed to be feeling along the way and you're dragged through it by those moments. You know, and that's definitely a problem that a lot of the more recent Star Wars films have gotten, this that they're just a total mess. You're not sure how... You're not sure what's going on. You're not sure how you're supposed to be feeling. And you're not sure what you're supposed to be doing along the way, just as an audience member, as someone who's captured along that journey. The sense of adventure has definitely, definitively been lost, um, much as I really do like The Last Jedi. But... Um, uh, again structure i think is the key is the key thing that i think is important to go at i think that is the key role of a director is to shape the bones of the story
1: and, and how do you do it how do, how have you learned to do that then for kind of let's say you're speaking to someone who's just graduated uni or sees himself as an emerging director how do you start thinking about structure
0: well firstly i'd say i'd say be humble and read read about read about stories you like, read about things you like, learn how they are made. Don't think think about them as as forms, first and foremost. They are forms, you know, um all of these things have happened before, all of these things happened again. There's centuries of good analysis of where these things are, you know, uh from Aristotle <laughs> all, all the way up to you know uh, the modern day. So there's lots of things to read. Read a lot. Read a lot about understanding how you break things down. Have a toolkit about how you break down things you admire. Know how those kind of things are made and then try and make something in the shape that you'd want to do and be like, right, this is the shape of the thing I want to make. How do I then, right, how do I then clothe it and build up the thing from scratch? Don't, as people often, I think, in the theatre world think, think that this is all a wonderful collaborative game and fail to do the actual work. I'm sorry, guys, but this is work. Do the work, do the reading, learn, watch, dissect, think. If you don't understand, ask. If you don't understand how something works, then then research the internet. Mm. Find out, watch video essays, whatever. But work out how things are done and then do the works, make it work. Why does Rope by Alfred Hitchcock work? Why is that a good film? Well, because Rope is in the ironic paradigm where the ultimate thing is, is because the audience knows something, the characters don't. And the moment that the film, the, the 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 characters know what we know, the film is over. That's it. So then you're like, okay, great. I can do something, I can make a show on that, where the audience are in the know and none of the actors are. What a great piece of tension. And that's where the tension of the thing comes from. So again, it's like know how to create these basic pieces of narrative tension. It's not hard, it just it, it is work. And I think yeah. that often people get in love with the show more than they do they get in love with the the critical theory of how to understand why a show is good yeah and i think that that that's a, that's a, that that that's a problem i think
1: uh, it reminds me of a book called into the woods by john york which mm-hmm. basically talks about i think he says that it's a five acts like every story is in a five act you can place any story you like in five acts um it's and it's the kind of same thing as um you know classic 12 acts of a hero's journey isn't it it's the uh what's his name hero's journey guy uh uh the hero of the thousand faces was,
0: was campbell wasn't it but um uh, anyway... it is joseph campbell yeah i it think it's yeah, yeah um well the thing is, is like, i don't even i don't even think you have to be you have to be too complicated you don't have to be too complicated or too clever about it because i think that's also another another thing that i know that i think that most experiences work best on a classic three act structure. Yeah, like a cinematic three act structure, and that's very easy. Like it's really easy, and ultimately, I know how to do an experience in that way. So yeah. therefore, I'll I'll stick with it. And you can make it cle- that you can make it cleverer and things like that. But I'm I'm like I know this works. I know people like it. I like it as an audience as well, and I want to keep it simple. And the great thing about three act structure, it really doesn't have that much to it. You know, inciting incident, first act leads to a decision you know rising action as that as the consequence decisions get harder you know falling action up until the point of uh, basically this end of the second act turning point with a kind of point of higher understanding leads to a climax on the end that's it that's really simple like it's like two sentences you can you can build an experience based on that um so it's easy to build something that's very very simple around a very simple structure and i would say people you know Shouldn't walk before they can run, as well. Like I built, I I built two games at time run. I built Lands Longness, which is very simple underneath, and my Celestial Chain, the same game, which is ultimately incredibly complicated. And that was based on like a that was a five act structure. So like the the two ultimately were like very 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 different games. But I was like, I've got to make sure I can do the simple thing in this space mm. before I do so before I do something complex. And I think, again, it's about being like being, again, it's it's it's, it's the work. Element. I meet a lot of kind of young, like young um, game designers in my space and kind of like, like I want to do something different. I want to do something different. I'm like doing something well is doing something different. Doing something good. Most things, by definition of the law of averages, most things are average.
1: Yeah.
0: Doing something good is good. You could, you know, take, take get, know what you're can you know get get good at what you can do mm. then take risks don't take risks from the word go that was something i that was again a mistake that i made in a lot of my 20s i was like i want to try something different than no one's done before but that did give me a lot of learning so maybe also i'm maybe i'm also wrong yeah uh, it's again be prepared if you're not if you're not going to nail the basics you might find yourself floundering mm. that's you know be be careful but also be bold but also be great be everything <laughs>
1: How do you care for your audiences
0: what 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 do you mean by that is my question um
1: how do you how do you take care of me as an audience member in your spaces how do you design an experience that makes me know where i am in the plot um know that i'm safe know that i can ask for hints without it feeling like i'm cheating how do you curate the experience
0: I, I mean, the, the good thing about it is that Escape rooms are naturally audience-focused. They are not like an immersive sh- immersive show or, you know, something like... Oh, sorry, um Something like Punch Drunk or one of these large kind of scale um, audiences where there are so many people that people can get lost. You know, there's a natural low um, high. I forget what... But there's a very good <laughs> ratio of staff to person in, in a way that is not whichever the correct way of phrasing yeah (laughs) the ratio the ratio is very favorable to the consumer yeah um and so people can't really be forgotten because there's someone watching them the whole time and taking care of them it's much more difficult to have a bad experience in an escape room because Mm. someone is employed to watch you and to care about you and to give you hints when it matters um so it doesn't the things that i don't want to do i want to do largely speaking because i don't Seek to create large footfall events. I'm phrasing this quite carefully because I do am doing which is larger footfall than I normally do, but um, I do, still ultimately the staffing ratio will be very good. Like I I like to be able to keep that control of the experience because I'm afraid of losing people. Because uh, again, I go to a lot of these experiences, the large scale ones, and I don't look at the people who are really engaging. I look at the person who's like nervously eating an ice cream in, in secret cinema and be like, I'm eating ice cream because I know I can buy an ice cream and that's what I know I can do. And who's like afraid of being acted at, things like that. Mm. Uh, so I, there are, there, I mean, there are things that also, so I would say firstly, there are, there are f- from to go back to structural things, um, a lot of it is also about status, which is how you care for your audience. Know who they are within the world, um, make them aware of who they are in the world, for example, um, in any escape room, the structure is ultimately that they are—they have to come into this world where they don't know anything and come to a point when they know everything at the end. So that means they are—they are—they have a role within this world, but they are not of it. And they ultimately are green; they don't know anything. They're not experienced. You know, if they're not hotshot detectives. They're the guys whose first day on the job, right? They have to, mm-hmm. be. um, because otherwise they wouldn't have to be explained to you what's happening you know where they have to be all that kind of stuff so let's again let the structure of what the experience has to be dictate who the people are so you know all these rules have to be in place because people cannot know anything before they arrive all this kind of stuff so for example at time room you're just yourself and you've volunteered for a journey across space and time against which is i mean personally as the um aubrey who was your host was like that's very stupid time travel is incredibly dangerous <laughs> you know uh you do have your wills in order of course as a Really great question to ask everyone at the beginning, but um, yeah. it's it's it is about making sure that people understand that you know again and th- and also about status of the actors. This is an important thing. Uh, the, everyone in that world that you meet has to be very high status, so that they get they can convey things to you, and also that you can be like, I don't know nothing, but these guys know, you know what's going on. So it's about providing different characters a very level of status, and then having one, which is close enough status to you, so you feel comfort with them. So, for example, in Time Run, you had uh, Luna Fox, who's the kind of time travel inventor behind everything. And Luna was incredibly high status. She never really spoke to her directly. She was too important, ultimately. You had Aubrey, who was your actor, but then you had your, your like, little robotic assistant, with Luna's robotic assistant, Babbage. And Babbage is low status. Babbage, is in that world, is obviously a robot. So Babbage is not particularly high status. He's, like, mediocre status. He's below a person, but above you. So, ultimately, that was the position where you're like... <laughs> Well, but a robot's not going to judge me for saying something stupid, and also he is there to help. Mm-hmm. About making every single possible thing you could do, so people instinctually are aware of where they are in this universe, where the characters are within it, and that they feel comfort because you know, if I were to have to ask, you know, Luna, an important person who's gathering across space and time for help, that would feel like I'm bothering someone. Whereas a robot who's literally there to help, design and build for help, you're like, great. That's like a lot asking, you know, um, AEL, ALEXA, um, for for help. You know, um, <laughs> I can't say the name because she's just there she's always listening. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's again, it's about it's a lot of it is about status. But a lot of the problems that uh, most of the shows face, um, uh, I don't think most things I do face. And when they have done in the past, it's because I failed
1: so for you let's let's not talk about time run, but what in general terms, what makes a really good escape room for you or a really good immersive experience? what are the kind of hallmarks
0: um, I have to know what I'm supposed to be doing the whole time mm. I, have, I can't just be i't I have to have a specific role in the show, otherwise it shouldn't might as well just be a theater show. I have to know why i'm there what i'm doing um there has to be this sense of Adventure to it because ultimately it's kind of a cinematic adventure format. You know, it, it, that's kind of what the format is. That's the reason why it leans so heavily on the tropes of cinema. Um, and um, the games have to not distract me or hold me up from the larger experience. They have to be just difficult enough that I don't remember them.
1: Interesting. The goal
0: of a puzzle is to be unmembered. That basically, if you remember a puzzle too much, you failed. Because they are not what's important. It's how a puzzle makes you feel. You're like, great, I did that. People are never like, do you remember when I was stuck on that, uh, moving that thing? They're like, do you remember when we did the thing? When we done it? It's the overcoming of it, which is the memory, which creates the moments. Because they're the reveals. Once you've done something, that's when you get a reward. You get the dopamine hit. You get the reveal. You understand more about the plot. You understand about the world. The, the world. It, it, you know, it's um, I don't know, obviously a game doesn't have to be could be high budget to help, but from a pure escapers point of view, you know, nice sets are always nice and um, good acting is always nice, but you can have a game which costs, you know, a grand to make, which is amazing. If you, if it's a, like a, an experience with great attention to detail, which rolls along at the right pace and that you understand why everything's happening mm. and has a great reveal at the end and is structured very well, but uh, it's all about structure It's all about pacing. It's all about flow as well. Because, again, that flow state, that kind of mythical state where you're in the moment, everything is going well, everything makes sense. And you are just purely existing for what's in front of you and around you. That's something that a game can do, which um, an experience, more standard immersive experience, can't do in the same way because more standard immersive experience has those moments where it's like now you stand and you watch me for a bit and now you're back to being you and walking about yeah. or it's literally punch drunk where as my my uh, brother who is uh not very immersive theatery said i really enjoyed uh walking around Macbethy. um <laughs> no walking around Macbethy. he went in new york We used to live in new york and i was like i don't think that's kind of not really what I wanted to get from saying "go to sleep no more," but that's you know again, uh, what you what you don't want is someone's primary reaction to be "I walked around and saw Macbeth." Mm. You want their primary reaction to be "I, I was the centre of an amazing story," you know, and that's why I was there, and I helped see it to its conclusion. Yeah, and unless you've done the kind of structural
1: work, of structural underpinning, you don't you don't get the audience there. So interesting. I don't know if you can talk about big IP on your. Yeah, okay, Yeah. Your, how did that happen then? How did the how did Sherlock come about? So that, did they come to see time run? So the BBC came. The BBC Events Department came, and they
0: they and they uh, they then brought the Sherlock team and were like, "Come and look at this." And they were like, "Hey, do you want to do Sherlock?" And we were like, "Okay, sure, why not?" But the b- main thing was was having a, having ha- again we were had a product in the market that had widespread appeal that people came to. And then the opportunity came, came like kind of arose by that quite organically. Hmm. But it's also because we were quite ahead of the market at the time. You know, this, now nowadays there's loads. I mean, I don't know how oh, audience your audience the skate rooms The skate room market is amazing. There's so many fantastic games around the world, brilliant games. Some playing with incredible structures and doing fantastic things. The last thing I did before lockdown, as I went um, to Athens with some escape uh, room guys, and we played uh escape rooms in Athens for like four days. Played like thirty or something like that. I don't know how many it was, wow. but like Ath- Athens is an amazing market. It puts the UK to shame. So the UK, you know, uh, it's not really a top tier escape room market. It's a good market, but it's not a great market. Mm. But um other places around the world it has got some amazing stuff.
1: So yes, where are the leading lights so of escape room then? What- Greece. Um, um,
0: people say Barcelona has really good stuff I've, I, I've not been to any of the ones to Barcelona, um, the Netherlands has, has um, some of the, arguably the, you know, the top game in the world, the Dome um, or at least like one of the most rated games in the world which is amazing um, uh, Athens has lots of fantastic games, I personally would really rate games to at Athens because uh, I like Greek food and the city's great and you can have a great time and get a bit of classical sightseeing at the same time Perfect holiday, That's get a bit of well. modern culture and a bit of ancient culture. What a time! And, it, and it's <laughs> cheap, and you can get an amazing um, Airbnb house for like seven people. um It's fantastic. It's really, really great. So I would say your first trip should be to Athens. And if you are going to Athens, hit me up on Twitter, and I will tell you where to go. In particular, <laughs> I would say you guys should go to Lock Hill, the asylum, which is one of my favorite games in the world. Um, which is amazing. I like horror games quite a lot um, because um, horror games. Do because horror games naturally have to be about an audience and about how, how they feel along the way. It makes people do a lot better work on the underpinnings of how people feel and f- make focus their experience on an audience. So I would say overall horror experiences are better than the average escape room experience, but there's some really good horror experiences there. But say Lockhill, the Asylum in Athens, that's my favorite one there. But also you've got like the Paradox Project games, which are like three, each one is three hours long, I think, three hours long. And they're absolutely fantastic. One's like an entire sprawling Athens townhouse and full of amazing secrets. Uh, Paradox Project 2, uh, if you are going, which is fantastic. Uh, the guys there, the lads behind Paradox Project, are also really great guys, really humble, really nice. So, yeah, there's loads of the Athens. Athens go to Athens because it's a great city and
1: also a great scary destination. Insane. We're talking
0: let's, about Sherlock, and I think I... Yeah, I think let's I just double back into
1: Sherlock. Sherlock. Uh, so... So they, they come and say yeah come and build Sherlock. What what were the initial conversations then? To, like, did you have kind of full reign in terms of what you could create? What was the what was the? We very much
0: we very much co-created it with um, uh, Stephen and Mark. Um, yeah, yeah. So Steve, if you don't know Sherlock, that's uh, Stephen Moffat and Mark Gatiss, who are the co-creators of the show, and. I, um, I know a lot of people who work with IP and towards people working with IP in the skate room world and across other stuff. And people always say, oh, you know, what's it like working with IP? And I say, kind of, my experience is very unique because Hartswood, um, who own Sherlock, um, are a small, produ- not small, but they're a production company. You know, they're Sue Virtue, um, Steve, Mo- uh, Steve um production company. And they own the rights, right? They just own the rights to Sherlock. So you don't have to work with the BBC. You don't have to work with big IP holders. You don't have to work with some, you know, third party. I'm the IP manager for Sherlock and um, I don't really understand the show, but it's a sign signing part of my portfolio. So I get to say what the brand values are. Um, you know, they understand the show because they wrote the show. So it was a very privileged and very lucky relationship with some very intellectually generous and very nice people. Um, and... I have done some other stuff with IP since, and it is much harder because they oh, it was lucky. there was no barriers, you know. If we were like, can we have this? They were like, yes or no, because they knew. You know, and uh, Sue, who's uh, the head of the press board is amazing, one you know, obviously she's kind of a world class executive producer of massive budget shows and all this kind of stuff. So kind of all these people were people at the top of their game who knew what they were doing, but also very generous and very nice and, you know, really talk to us, uh, you know, a small escape room company in East London um, with complete respect Mm -hmm. all the time about our ideas and the things that we want to bring to it and, you know, the kind of story angle we suggest taking. And they were like, yes, that sounds good. How about this? And very collaborative nature of it. Um, so yeah, it was a really like really, really on that front, it was a very easy relationship. And because they are very generous, easygoing, nice people. I think that when people say about working with IP, because I've done quite a lot of it now, post-sherlock and pre-sherlock, a little bit pre-sherlock, but mostly but mostly Sherlock and beyond, um, you'll be lucky if you get that relationship, just generally. You're not going to, you know, if you want to do um you know, uh, and also like, not all IPs are born equal. For example, you know, Sherlock, people want to do because Sherlock at the time was the big you know, one of the biggest shows in the world, one of the biggest shows in the UK certainly. But if they like, say, for example, you know, you want to do uh, Babe, Two Pig in the City, um, which is a very excellent piece of IP and a fantastic movie that uh, for uh, all the family alike, which I personally love. Um, it's not gonna have the same pull or much more difficult to get funding about. People have to I do yeah, really, you know. But again, you know, uh, on the uh, on the flip side, um, if you want to do like a Mad Max escape room, that's you know, much more marketable, even though George Miller, who did direct Baby Two <laughs> Pig in the City and Mad Max, um, <laughs> it's obviously his inferior work compared to Baby Two <laughs> Pig in the City. And if I got him around the <laughs> table, I'd be like <laughs> George. I don't care. Give me Pave Two Pig in the City. You can combine the I them. I mean, look, I, look, If if I can get George around the table, I'll be able to. I'm sure I could convince it. I've got a lot of. I've got a lot of love for that little pig. Mad
1: Max Lost in the City.
0: Yeah. Well. Yeah. You, you know, <laughs> the word "pig" has to be in the title, it really. <laughs> value, and I don't know where it goes. But um, so yeah, it's. I think the the working with IP front is very much about how much gatekeepers are between you and the actual people that matter. Because I reckon that if you're working on a Guardians of the Galaxy game, that I reckon uh, James Gunn—he sounds like a—he sounds like a decent guy, and he's easy, easy to work with. And I reckon if you get the access, it's gonna be wonderful. Hmm. But if you get some, you know, on, on a, if you're unlucky, and the person who is the rights, the you know, the person who's the, you know, the brand manager—that's the phrase I was looking at—because you know, at uh, Disney Marvel. Um, and they're like, I know what an escape room is. I've got a great idea for an escape room. And they're the gatekeeper, then you're going to have a terrible time. You know, what you want is <laughs> someone who knows what they know and gives you rain where it matters. Mm. Um, I mean, actually, Marvel is a relatively bad example because Marvel are comic, are like a comics company, first and foremost. So they'll kind of let you do what you want as long as you're not using movie IP, particularly, and not making it canonical.
1: Mm. But,
0: you know, a lot of other TV stuff is going to be very difficult. So I would say, in general, um, working with IP, there's, there's kind of quite a few questions you should ask yourself beforehand if you want to do it. The first question is, is this IP worth the investment and time? Is it big enough? Um, the second thing is, do I have enough access to make the kind of experience that I want?
1: How do you know um, if it's worth it? How do you, what's the calculation you would do? Um, I,
0: I go on a simple, simple thing, which is, uh, do I care? Because you only have, uh, you know, if you don't care from the beginning, then you can't do it. And you have to care quite a lot because every step of the way will chip you down because it's a lot more, it's a lot harder working within someone else's constraints. You know, you don't have that, you have, you you know, you have freedom, but you're, you're holding someone else's baby. And of course you care about it and want it to live and you want to be fed and you and you care about it as you, you know as another another live entity but it isn't your child you don't love it in the same way so it's that kind of sense of you got to know you've got to be a, you've got to really care really want to do it um and you know sure was something i definitely really wanted to do and it was you know two long years more probably in my life so and i'm glad i did it but um if you know if if, for example, it had been Doctor Who, a show that I despise, um, then I would have rather knifed myself in the eyes. <laughs> um, uh, uh, but um, again, it's like that thing of like I because partly, and i I'm part of the reason that is that I know how the I know how hard the BBC are to work with over Doctor Who as well. I know they're difficult. I know they are very notorious because know, it's one of their few IPs that they kind of own actually themselves, they're very precious about it, very difficult. The rights all the characters split over loads of things. It's hard. It would already be hard. And it's not controlled by a company or a small, you know, you can't get to the creator because there is no creator. So therefore already there are so many barriers to get to a creative decision that it's going to be very hard. Ideally you want something that's big, exciting, and that you have as few barriers to the creative possible that you think is marketable because it still translates and, you know, you still have to market it. Like another problem that people face is that people think that um, IP is a kind of panacea. That you know, they're like, oh, you know, my sales are, I have fifty-two percent occupancy, and at if I had I'm trying to think of something, which uh, which is a good example, um, if I had uh, you know, I don't know, Cowboy Bebop, great great show, not the Netflix one particularly, but the original anime. Um, then uh, I'll be able to get 62, you know? But the thing is, is IP turns people off as much as it turns people on. You know, again, a Doctor Who escape room, um, uh, which there is uh, escape can't have the IP. I don't think it sells notably but notably better than other games because, for example, if you said, would you like to do a um, cool space quest game? I'd be like, spaceships? I like spaceships. I, it's blank enough, a blank enough a template for me to be there. Whereas if you said to um, you know, it to me, would you like to do Doctor Who game? I'm always like, oh God, where's the knife? And he still straight into my eyes. <laughs> uh okay, yeah, my eyes have not had a knife in because it took to in minutes. Um uh, so it's, it's again that um that be aware that there are ve- the, the IPs that are are universally loved, um, are you know things like things I guess I think probably probably still Star Wars, despite Disney's kind of oversaturation of it. Star Wars, you know, there are like very few golden IPs. Harry Potter is still very much universally loved um, despite uh, J.K. Rowling empirically being a bigot. Um, uh, so there are still these there are still these there are still these universal IPs that are loved. And for example if someone came to you and said do you want to do a Harry Potter Escape Room, that is a license to print cash. You yeah. should definitely do it. Um, if, as long, Well, I would say don't do it because it's compromising of um, fundamental principles.
1: <laughs> but um, but uh, but Wait, where's uh, the Pokemon? Thing? Where's the Pokemon escape from? You know. What, uh,
0: I'm sure Scrap, who are the big Japanese company, I'm sure they're working, you know, I'm sure I suspect they already have to, have done something. Scrap are great. Um, and they're massive. So um yeah, um, I, I suspect it's already happened. We just probably haven't on our side Japan. But Pokemon's very you know, very very liked. Um, um but I'm, uh, and I think it would do very well. So Pokemon's very, like, like a Legend of Zelda escape room, that would do very well because um, Legend of Zelda, like at its heart, is just a quest game. And no one really has negative opinions about it. It hasn't really been, you know, people were like, oh, cool, it's, it's, oh, it's Zelda, okay, cool. So there, there's not enough turning. So you have to get to make that calculation, mm-hmm. work out what you want to do, but also work out, is, is it worth your time? <laughs> are you better off building your own IP, building your own universe, building your own characters? But it's something that you can, you know, you can create and you can spin off. But that also takes uh, like time, money, resources, and also the type of creative energy, which not everyone has. Because mm. some people don't like doing things like creating universes. They actually like creating like telling specific stories um, that can come to them. And they look kind of at a much more play style, which is also totally legitimate. So it really depends on what kind of what kind of creative energy you have, whether you you know you are you know, you are someone who. What delights you is the kind of breadth, or what delights you is the depth. So I would say, when you're working with IP, you just gotta you've got to put. I I think I, as I've said, do the work, put it on paper, put all the pros and cons, try and be super objective, and 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 try and be honest with yourself as much as anything. Is this going to be what I want to do for the next X many years of my life?
1: Cool, that's uh, really good advice. On on that. Um... On that point of creative energy, what's next for you? What's I've got,
0: um, I've got a venue in London where I'm doing something uh, that I can't tell you about just yet. Okay. Um, but it's uh, the biggest thing I've ever done by quite a price, quite, quite a scale. Um, and it's trying to solve something that I've always wanted to try and have a go at solving. Um, so it is a big risk,
1: uh, but very exciting. Are you able to tell me what the problem is you're trying to solve or not?
0: I'm trying to, I want to be able to create open world gameplay.
1: Oh, awesome. And that's
0: it because I've always, I've, I've never seen anyone really do it in a way that I really like. I've seen people almost get it right, um, which is great because I can like learn from that. My people have got 70% of it, I'm like, Jesus Christ, man, you've done most of the work for me. Like, yeah, self, yeah. I still have final 30%. Uh, so yeah, there's like, there's a couple, I really want to be able to create. But also, it depends what you define as open world. And from my perspective, and that's something we can have even um, when it opens, you know, because of course I'm saying it now, but something could happen that intervenes. But I've got a venue, massive venue, uh, 30,000 square foot. Uh, wow. So, um, and we're going to do something really awesome with it. So, yeah, watch the space, trying, uh-huh. to, try, trying to create something that, again, does all the things I think are important about escape rooms. And it makes a larger open world that people can revisit. But I've got a structure for how that could work. And I think it will, but I can't be sure. Awesome. But um, so we'll see. That, that but that's kind of my that's my next. I see some, I'm, also, I'm also building some skate rooms at the same time for um, venue in Essex, which are very good. Okay. Very, very good skate rooms. Yeah, yeah, really good. So I think one of them is, I think, I think one of them is a really good, I think I building five games. Forget I'm doing that at the same time, um, even though that's what I'm doing all the time. Um, uh, three really large games, but one of them I think, um, is really, really something special. I think what you know, sometimes you just have like uh, of the kind of there are five games, three kind of major games, two kind of minor games. I think one of the minor games and one of the major games are like have really turned out great,
1: yeah, and the rest
0: are good, but you know, when you're just like that really works, yeah, I think they their opening in Essex. Amazing. In
1: about six weeks. Billericay to rival Athens. Uh,
0: no, uh, Athens <laughs> is better. Athens is better. Um, Ricky does not have the Parthenon, uh, so uh, probably unless unless it's hiding behind Harry's Bar on the High Street, which is very nice. Um, but uh, yeah. I'm sure there's an there. equivalent. <laughs> Yes, there is. There's a very good car park behind Harry.
1: <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for today. That's it's been interesting. It's been interesting.
0: Yeah, good. <laughs> well, I'm glad. Well, well, thank you very much for having me. And uh,
1: yeah, and we'll hear about what you're doing mysteriously in the future. Or maybe you won't. The thing is, as again,
0: it could not work out because that is how all these things work. But I'm hoping it does because I've put a lot of my own money into it, <laughs> and I'm going to be. <laughs> fucking broke if I don't get to work
1: it has to work it has, it to, has to work,
0: work. alright All right. Awesome. thanks everybody thank you much. Uh,